Hi, I'm Monika Müller-Kroll, executive producer of Studio Berlin. And note before we get started, we are back at our studio in Steglitz, but all of our guests are joining by phone. So bear with us if there are any technical difficulties along the way. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Eric Kirschbaum. Today we'll be talking about sports during the coronavirus pandemic. The German Bundesliga is considered to be one of the top soccer leagues in the world. Depending on whom you ask, it's usually ranked third or fourth in the world behind England, Spain, and sometimes even Italy. But this month, the Bundesliga has become number one in the world for another reason. It's the first major sports league in the world to resume games right in the middle of the crisis. One catch is, there are no fans in the stadium. All the games are being played in empty stadiums, Geisterspiele, or ghost games as they call them in Germany. So in this half hour, we want to discuss whether Germany is a role model for how sports can resume in these times. And apart from the big clubs and the top players, how are the smaller sports clubs, especially in Berlin, managing this crisis? With me on the line, is Alima Hotaki. She's a sports journalist for the international broadcaster Deutsche Welle. Hi, Alima. Hello. Also on the line is Klaus Wetter. He's the sports editor of the German newspaper Der Tagesspiegel in Berlin. Hi, Klaus. Hi. Okay, Klaus, let's start with you. Friday, May 22nd was an important date for the two Berlin Bundesliga soccer clubs, Hertha BSC and Union Berlin. They played for the second time in 40 years in the empty Olympic Stadium, Hertha won 4-0. Tell us a bit about the atmosphere there. Okay, I mean, I must admit, I wasn't there, but a colleague of mine, of course, was there because every paper, every or station is only allowed one person in. So it was 10 so-called writing journalists. I mean, the atmosphere, there was no atmosphere, as you can tell. I mean, I think most of you watched the game on the television, and yeah, it was a bit spooky, especially in a big stadium like that. You can hear people yelling, you have the echo, and really, that wasn't really an atmosphere. Especially for a derby. A derby atmosphere is really yeah. special, as we saw in Kerpenick in November when Union won mm. that game. Maybe interesting is to know, for journalists, it's also quite tedious to get into the stadium. It takes quite a long time. You've been controlled a few times, and then you have sitting there on your own. You don't have really contact with other colleagues. I mean, the press conference is not an ordinary press conference. There's a WhatsApp group. You can post your questions. So from what I've been told, it's um, even more difficult for the colleagues in the stadium to report or to see everything about the game than it is for us that we are uh, watching the game on television. Right. So, Alima, Hertha won 4-0. Do you think that Hertha is playing better when they're playing without a crowd? Are they a better team now when there's no one watching? I mean, it sure looks that way. And um, Hertha fans have been frustrated, especially this season, because the team hasn't really lived up to expectation. Um, they have this entire big picture, big plans. They have this really big vision for their team this season. And they've had four coaching changes. And of course, in the January transfer window, the club ended up spending so much money on new players and none of it panned out. And a lot of that frustration, the Hertha fans, of course, were not afraid to express that at the games. But at the end of the day, I think more credit has to be given to their new coach, Bruno Labbadia. 
Um, he's a, an expert when it comes to helping teams in crisis. He's done it at several other clubs, and I think a lot of it is due to him. He's brought stability to this club. Um, his playing style, it's, it's also quite entertaining, and I think that has also gelled with the players really well. And I think he's also given, he's come into this uh, club with any sort of prejudgment, and he's given every player a chance to prove himself. So I think that's actually the best start for a new coach at Hertha Berlin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's exciting to watch Hertha right now, but I, I still can't get away from this idea that playing without an audience yeah. is better for some clubs. I think it's a very good point. You have teams that uh, live from this emotion, from this energy they get from the fans, and especially Union is a club like that. And you can really see this. I mean, my theory is in these settings, the better team wins. It's very difficult. I mean, Union hasn't had this quality, and it's more difficult to compete with Hertha on this level, on, in this circumstances. So we really have a really different season here, a different competition, really. I mean, it's very difficult to evaluate this, what is happening right now. And I totally agree as well. I mean, um, it's obviously really difficult for many players because fans do give a lot of them a boost of motivation. So that psychological factor is always there. And it does help describe, for example, how Union Berlin at the moment seem to be doing because Dortmund, on the other hand, also in their stadium, their stadium is mm, known yeah. for their eccentric um, atmosphere and they too rely heavily on their fans. But I think um, the difference between Dortmund, of course, and Union Berlin is obviously the quality, the individual quality in players. But it's also really interesting because, for example, Dortmund hired a psychologist, a sports psychologist, to help them find a way of playing in front of no fans in terms of adjusting to the surroundings. And I don't know how many other clubs have done that. But mm. you've also mentioned something that I thought was also really interesting because I think since the restart, they've also shown that fewer teams are winning at home, that mm -hmm. more teams yeah. are winning on the road. Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. I, mean, I think it was out of out of the first uh, 18 games, it was only three home games that were won, I think. Uh, Bayern won, uh, Dortmund won, and Hertha against Union, that's all. Right. I mean, yeah. you can tell. Yeah. So there is no home advantage in this setting. That's, right. That's the thing. So mm -hmm. it's a different game. Can you unpack a bit for us how the DFL, um, the German Soccer League, was able to get these games approved? It's a 50-page yeah. document, very German. How did yeah. they manage to convince the politicians and the health authorities to let them play? Oh, that's a difficult question. I mean, I, I muddled my way through the, the, the hygiene concept. <laughs> it's, the thing is, soccer is, uh, maybe plays a prominent role in German society, and maybe that, that was a big factor they had, and maybe some soccer fans there and the government as well. I, I think till then it's, of course, a, a big economical factor. That's the point. It's not only the players, but uh, uh, two high-paid professionals that are playing in the Bundesliga, but it's many thousands around it. It's, it's a big business, and I think that's, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the opinion polls showed that a majority of Germans were yeah. against the Bundesliga yeah. restarting, and yet they managed to get it through. And I think, I think in yeah. a way, um, it's been a fascinating discussion, but you can see that Germany's relative success in handling the pandemic mm -hmm. is also a mm -hmm. reflection of the Bundesliga yeah. returning. Other countries yeah. wish they could be as far along as Germany, right? Definitely. I mean, maybe that's not the main reason. But, I mean, we don't have to get look at Dresden, for instance. They're at the top of the second division right now, and they have a big, big problem. They couldn't play so far because they had many uh, COVID cases. And uh, now they have to play all their, I think it's nine or 11 games, uh, within a very short time frame. And I think they, they have no chance to avoid relegation. So we have this one team that is really suffering. Right. Because of this whole uh, story issues. I, I think it's a difficult question, but I must tell you, I was very pessimistic in the first place, but now since the coronavirus uh, thing, everything is going down a bit. I mean, it could be that they have that they're lucky, you know. Mm -hmm.
plus plus all this concept that they've got that there won't be too many cases and that they can really play the rest of the season without any disturbance. Then we can say it was the right way, yeah. What do you think of the quality, Almina? Are you surprised the games have been such a high quality or is this about what you expected or how do you see this? Yeah, if I can just touch upon the previous question that sure. um, this DFL hygiene concept, yes, it was introduced, but at the end of the day, it was the politicians that had to approve it. And that's something that we shouldn't forget. So it wasn't at the end in the hands of the league who at the end decided, let's give this the green light. But that was up to the the, the state, the lender, uh, the provinces or the states, however you would put it in English, they at the end have to approve of it and they gave it the green light. Um, sorry, now to your uh, question right now, the quality of the games. Well, of course, I mean, the show must go on and it is difficult for the players um, playing without fans because um, you don't have that motivation. I was initially just concerned about um, the fitness levels of some of these players because they had now gone two months almost mm. without playing a proper game. Yeah. yeah, you had, they were individually training and of course every player was uh, individually training on their own little level, which of course differed from player to player. Then of course they had the individual training that started with the clubs and they had the team training. But um, so yeah, that has been a positive because that hasn't really been too much of a, of a concern. I mean, you do sometimes see that they are a bit rushed because um, they also observe that there have been more yellow cards, more fouls um, since the restart. But of course, that can all just be a correlation at the end of the day. Um, I found that the players gained their rhythm a lot quicker than expected. Um, but of course, it is still something really strange to get used to, both for the fans, but also for the players. Because for me, sometimes when I watch these games now with the natural atmosphere, of course, without the thousands and thousands of fans being present being inside the stadium it does kind of remind me of like being back in high school where you just watch your own team you know your own high high school team and um, I think it's also a bit intriguing because now you're able to hear all the communication between the players and the player and the coaches so that's been quite insightful I find right KCRW Berlin talked with Berlin soccer fans here's some of the things they had to say about the Geisterspiele this is 56-year-old Chris Laporta. I watch Union since 1977, and um, for me, it, it doesn't matter uh, which division, which league uh, my club plays. And that's why I will ever love my club and ever uh, go to the matches for my life. I have a ticket for my whole life. I bought it uh, 20 years ago for 2,222 Euros. And now the Geisterspiele, um, it's not really football without um, fans, without support, without uh, sounds, without uh, chants. And um, it's a um, Trauerspiel. I know other uh, countries made it uh, go another way, but um, for the DFL was the important thing, the money. Only the money. That, that's why they do it. So Chris calls it a travesty. What do you think about that? Yeah, a difficult question. I mean, in the first place, I would share his opinion. Of course, it's all about money. It's a business. On the other hand, it's a business that you want to keep running. The thing is, we have to see what's happening now. I think it's, it's likely that other leagues uh, might follow. Spain is uh, practicing again. The Premier League is starting. Uh, we shouldn't forget that other sports is about to start. I mean, horse racing in Germany is already, they started before the football even. We have the basketball thing in Germany. We will have the NHL and the NBA playing soon without spectators or in America. So 
So I think maybe it's something we have to get used to, really. It sounds funny, but we don't know how long this pandemic uh, is going to influence our lives. But maybe that's the only way to have sports. And I think we have to face this, too. The world is changing. And why? We can't expect to come out of this crisis or to be in this crisis and everything can be the same. And we maybe have to accept that things are changing and even have to accept this strange game. And as you mentioned, Eric, early on, the quality of the games isn't too bad. I mean, it's really good. So, so maybe, you know, maybe we'll find a way to cope with this. It's all good. It's all about adapting to the circumstances. Yeah. And we also talked to Kurt Moritz Michels, a 24-year-old Heritage supporter. And this is what he had to say about his club winning the big game. I definitely had tickets for the game and I was very, very sad that I couldn't go. Um, so I just watched it at home uh, in my living room with some friends. We, we tried to keep the social distance, obviously, which was uh, not very easy at the times because when, you know, when they scored goals, we obviously celebrated, tried to bring the stadium atmosphere into the living room. But yeah, I think the football, football has very hard times at the moment as, as everybody. And, um, you know, I'm just super excited that the, that the league is back and that I, that I have something to look forward to in, in, in those hard times. And I mean, from an, from an economic perspective, it's, it's very, very important for the, for the league to be back because otherwise the league will never be the same again as, as we used to know it because some clubs would just, yeah, go bankrupt and die, which would be a super sad thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a hard time, but I think I can't complain because, I mean, um, I can understand all the critics that say, okay, so why, why is football back and all the other sports still need to pause? So that's, I, I totally understand that it's a bit unfair, but it also shows what, yeah, what a mighty lobby the football has and, and what a societal and economic importance football has, uh, I mean, uh, especially in Germany. What do you think, Almina? Is he right about that? It's all about the money? Um, money plays a big role. I mean, let's not romanticize football. Um, the Bundesliga at the end of the day, the clubs at the end of the day, they will do what's best for their bottom line. And just like that's what any other business would do. And of course, they could have lost hundreds of thousands of euros from TV rights. And at the same time, I think this pandemic also shows that um, how dependent the Bundesliga, how dependent clubs are on TV income. So, for example, like the clubs are already losing out on gate tickets. And they were also saying that if the Bundesliga were to completely, if they had cancelled it, um, I think it was estimated that, that a third of clubs in the first and the second league would have faced insolvency uh, without match day income. And of course, these are lucrative TV deals that you don't want to lose, um, especially if your survival of a club uh, depends on it. So some of the big clubs, they could sustain this. The Bayern, the Dortmund I'm talking about, but the smaller clubs, of course, it, we, you know, we could be speaking about the existence. Um, but I think going back to the two um, sound bites that you just played, I think it just also shows you how split society is. And I know I have friends, for example, here in Germany, in Berlin, who are not even football fans, but they were all of a sudden this issue of the Bundesliga restarting also had them really concerned. It had split them as well, because to them, it became a moral question. For them, it was like, well, why should the Bundesliga get special treatment? Why should get mm. football get special treatment? You know, you have schools, you have healthcare workers, you have people yeah. in old age homes that are not being tested. And although I understand, you know, the capacity of these tests um, is not going to interfere at all in Germany's overall mm -hmm. capacity, but still some people might be saying these are resources that could at the end of the day be transferred somewhere else. 
my son only go. He's in the fourth, the form, as we say, he's ten years old, and he only goes to school once a week or next week is twice a week, and mm-hmm. that's something I can't understand. Then we're work, working uh, at home office most of the time, but they're playing football again, and that's something that, of course, is strange to understand. Yep. Difficult. And and if we're talking about, I mean, there's so many other options. I I get it. Clubs will lose out money, but. Um, there's also sometimes the point that's also being raised by some diehard fans who say, wait a minute, um, some of the biggest expenditures um, of clubs comes from spending money on players' salaries. And although a lot of these players across Europe and these different leagues did take um, wage cuts, they did up to, what was it, 5 to 20 or 30 percent, mm-hmm. some people are saying, well, they could have maybe taken even bigger cuts, you know, because at the end, these are still people in much better positions than the rest of the people, ordinary people, quote-unquote. Great. Just keep going if you want. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, too, that how fragile the finances are of a lot of Bundesliga clubs, that this has rocked them, this has knocked them off their, off their pedestal. How did that happen, that the Bundesliga seems to be so powerful, so financially strong, and yet so vulnerable? Yeah, the, the transfer market yeah. just been it's been explosive it's like every Mm. year every two years it doubles it triples it's just nobody can keep up and the problem is also you have a lot of ordinary average players that are also asking for a lot lot of money so just there's been like an inflation in the transfer market that very few clubs can keep up with the the financial situations of a club doesn't surprise me that much because we have a different system here than we have uh, like in england or especially in the stage where ownership is uh, on a different basis, where you have big companies or, or somebody with lots of money. Here you have 50 plus one, so the the, the clubs are really different, organized, differently organized. That's the point, you know. And I don't think they have they don't have uh, very much money in the background if something is happening. That's the difference. What do the players yeah. think of of playing again? Um, have you had a chance to talk to or read comments from players? I, I've read one or two don't want to play because they have other illnesses. Are they happy to be playing again? Or majority is happy, I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. majority are happy, but I also found that a lot of players in general, when it's a topic that very few were willing to talk about. Yeah. I know one Cologne yeah. player, also a, a, a Belgian, he's a midfielder at Köln, um, I think he had come out and then, because he was saying that football is not on his mind, he was saying that the health of his family mm. and his girlfriend had a precondition, so he mm. really was concerned about playing. And then afterwards, he ended up retracting what he said. He was saying that he was misunderstood, but his words were quite clear. There was really no misunderstanding. So I don't know if some of the clubs have been putting a bit of pressure, but I know even in the Premier League, Aguero um, had come out saying that, you know, we are concerned about our own health. This is still a very precarious situation, and I think it's easy for everybody to now look at the Bundesliga, but something really bad can still happen. All it takes is for one player to get sick or the family member of one player, you know, God forbid, but let's say somebody dies, and then all of a sudden, you know, we bring into question, is this really such a successful model? And I think people also need to be careful that like, there's not a one-size-fits-all. What works for Germany might not work somewhere else not one fits all but I think that's, that's going to happen I don't see it that drastic I don't think that some of it will die soon because we're talking about good athletes here and, and I, I'm not a doctor now but I mean you know it's not that the COVID uh, virus is not that uh, dangerous to athletes now so then it, well, of course because these are young players but... I mean another point is you just mentioned there was very good I think that the, the players playing there at the moment they of course they are briefed by the clubs that they don't say too many negative things about the situation that's a chance to talk to Dieter Müller two days ago who was like the best um, striker Corona ever had 
And he said, it's total, it's nonsense, it's rubbish, he doesn't like it at all. And talking to former players, yeah. I mean, most of the majority will say the same. This is not football, you know, uh, for them. I never, what is it, Nevin Supertic, I think, uh, Union Berlin, the defender, he yeah. also said that he wishes in general that the Bundesliga players had more of a say in the yeah. entire decision-making, yeah. which he felt they didn't. He felt like they should have had yeah. a much bigger say. And I, also, I know, for example, that in... In, in North America, for example, in the National Hockey League, I think the unions play often a much bigger yeah, role compared to here. I, I, yeah. I think also in, in England, I think in the Premier League as well, the players in general have had much more say. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out because there are some players, like I know at Watford, there's one player who hasn't really attended training even in the Premier mm-hmm. League with his mm-hmm. club because he is concerned of the risk. And I know I don't want to bring up this worst-case scenario, but what I'm yeah. saying is that all it takes is for one player to, you know, let's get some sort of complications, you know, on the on the severe side, and the system could. I mean, then we might question and say maybe we should be a lot more careful. Okay, or if maybe something happens, th- yes, but I mean, the situation <laughs> now is different from what it was like like four weeks ago. We really must say that we, we have to, to face this fact, you know. How many yeah. new infections do you have a day? Is it five, five a day maybe in Berlin? And that's the difference from what it was like four weeks ago or two months ago. Right. The point that I was trying to make earlier is that just because it works for Germany, for example, doesn't mm. mean that it's going to work everywhere because the politics in Germany is different from the politics in the United States, for example, yeah. right now. So so I don't know, like, who am I? Because at the end of the day, I feel like those involved should be making the decisions. Um, yeah. Thank you, Alima. Okay, my pleasure. Alima Hutaki is a sports journalist for the international broadcaster Deutsche Welle. And thank you, Klaus. Yeah, thank you all. Klaus Vetter is a sports editor at the German newspaper Der Tagesspiegel. We're taking a short break, and when we come back, we'll be zooming in on smaller sports clubs in Berlin. How are they handling this crisis, and what sports are likely to return in the coming weeks? Stay tuned. I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into 1A weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh, my God. One thing I really like in a radio story... What's back there? Nothing. It looks empty. Oh, there's someone living back there. ...is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's somebody's hair. There's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there. Mysteries explained each week this American life. It's Santa Claus. Resident Evil. This American Life, Sundays at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin. I'm your host, Eric Kirschbaum, and we're talking about sports during the COVID-19 pandemic. Soccer is back in Germany. The Bundesliga has resumed its matches. But what about smaller clubs in Berlin? How are they doing? And what does their future look like? With me on the line is Alexander Fuchs from the Landessportbund Berlin, the regional sports federation, and he's responsible for politics and sporting policy. Hi, Alexander. Hi, Eric. First, can you tell us a bit about what your organization does? 
Yeah, sure. Um, the Landessportbund Berlin is the umbrella organization of sports in Berlin. We have uh, 700,000 members organized in 2,600 clubs. And all we are doing is organizing the sports. We are a political actor. We are a networking partner. Um, we are uh, the education unit of sports. And, of course, we are developing and coordinating all kinds of sports in the city. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about Geisterspiele, ghost games, um, the Bundesliga matches resuming. Did you have anything to do with that decision? And do you think it was a good move? No, we don't have anything to do with the decision. The decision to do a ghost games in Berlin is a decision by, made by the Senate. And indeed, it, is, it was a very good move because it showed that everything works. Uh, the distance rules, the hygiene concepts working, life has to continue, you know, and uh, football is the number one sport in Germany. And the game gives people uh, some kind of hope, I think, and um, some kind of the, of the so-called new normal. So yeah, I think uh, Bundesliga and the Ghost Games are some kind of role model, not just for, for Berlin or for Germany, but for sports all over the world. Yes, indeed. That's what we've been talking about today on Studio Berlin. But what about the amateur clubs in Berlin and the third league? They've been complaining that they feel a bit left out. Um, is there something that the amateur clubs uh, can learn from the Bundesliga's restarting? Yeah, I think uh, all the soccer clubs, clubs or sports in general can learn from the Bundesliga. And it would, it's going to be interesting how the concept of the German Basketball Federation will work out. They have a tournament in Munich at the end of June. So it's going to be very interesting for sports. And if football in Berlin continues their season, the decision is not finally made. Bundesliga could be a role model as well, not just for, for soccer, but indeed for the amateur clubs in the third league. Can you give us an update right now on what sports are allowed in Berlin again? What kind of sports can people play? Yeah, sure. There is a variety of sports you can do. So all uh, outdoor activities and outdoor sports, individual sports, of course, contact-free and with a maximum of eight people per group, such as golf, tennis, horse riding, football. And from the 25th on, you can go swimming again. That's good news for all the swimmers in Berlin. What, what about competition and, and games? When, when will that all be back to normal or semi-normal? Yes, the competitions in contact-free outdoor sports are um, permitted from uh, May 25th onwards as well, uh, provided that they can take place within the framework of the usage and the hygiene concept, of course, um, made by the respective sports associations. So the tennis association in Berlin have to make a concept and the concept has to be approved by the Senate, Senate Department of Sports. What about gyms? When will people be able to go back to the sports studio? Uh, something I, I can't tell you right now, I don't, I, because I don't know, because there's no decision made by the Senate. But we hope that there will be some easing of measures in the early June, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of sports clubs are facing difficult financial times right now because of the pandemic. How is the Berlin city government, the Senate... Um, supporting the sports scene in Berlin? Yeah, first, we've learned that there's a huge extent of solidarity within the clubs because most of the members are staying with their clubs, helping to keep their stability or keep them alive. Some of them are donating extra money, and um, we opened or we realized a rescue parachute for sports with the amount of uh, 6 million euros. So the clubs can name their financial casualties to us, and we uh, assume to pay them back uh, proportionally some of the money mm -hmm. they lost. 
And Alexander, have you, can you tell us what you've learned yourself from the crisis? Yeah, sure. That I learned that um, every individual uh, has his own uh, proportion to make the situation better. I think to make society better or to make the living better, um, good is to be patient, to keep the distance, to, to wear the mask, and just be patient, be cool, because better times are coming. Well, let's hope things get back to normal soon. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you, Eric. Have a nice day. Alexander Fuchs is from the Landessportbund Berlin, Berlin's regional sports federation, and he's responsible for sports and sporting policy. I'm your host, Eric Kirschbaum. Thanks for listening, and make sure to tune in next week for another edition of Studio Berlin here on 104.1 FM. Have a great week.